You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Hunt and Onyx Maps. Now, I got to have a a little heart-to-heart with you here real quick. I used Onyx Maps on my phone every single day during the hunting season whether i was out west during my elk hunt south dakota mule deer hunt or my rut vacation in iowa i was on my phone using onyx maps every part of the day whether i was looking at terrain features uh on the topographic and and satellite maps that they offer on their uh Uh, on their app or if I was leaving a waypoint like a watering hole or where I left my trail cameras or tree stands or if I was marking a route from a campsite to a glassing position or from my truck to a tree stand location I used Onyx Maps every single day and I feel like it's an app that made my life a little bit easier. I don't know about you, but uh, there's been times in the past where I have been trying to find a tree stand based off of memory and not off of looking at a map. And uh, I I have gotten lost in the dark before. I had to wait till sunup and then and then you know find it that way. But that problem does not exist anymore because of onyx and uh, there's a ton of other features that i think you guys need to check out go to onyxmaps.com and uh, check out uh, all the functionality of the app Uh, download it to your phone give it a try and when you do decide to purchase enter the discount code nation 20 n-a-t-i-o-n two zero and for new users you're going to receive 20% off. So, onyxmaps.com. Welcome to the DIY Sportsman Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Prawl and Boudreaux Boswell. All right, I am here with Nate Sellers on the podcast today. He is the guy behind the Average Jack Archery YouTube channel. It's a YouTube channel that focuses a lot on archery, has some really great content, especially for beginning archers. He's also a you know pretty avid bow hunter based out of Pennsylvania. Why don't you go ahead, Nate, and tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and your channel? Sure. Thanks for having me on, by the way, Garrett. I really appreciate it. Uh, so Average Jack Archery was started in 2015. I'm a middle school English teacher by trade. So uh, people you know, say, hey, you're good with archery. You should you know, put tutorials and teaching videos online and I said ah no one's gonna ever want to watch that and so I decided to put some stuff online and sure enough people watched it and uh, just kind of snowballed from there and now we're just north of 19,000 subscribers and that is just phenomenal Uh, just super blessed to to be part of the YouTube scene and 
Um, just keep posting content, keep learning new stuff every single day, traveling, ATA show and, and seeing new products and meeting new people. And it's just been a fantastic, uh, fantastic start from 2015 to now. And you help out locally at, you know, some of the, uh, archery shops and things like that. So it's, it's not like you're just making this stuff up. Like you have a lot of experience putting together people's rigs and tuning bows and setting up arrows and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's correct. I, I work at a local shop here in, in central PA and uh, put many hours in there over the summer when I'm outside of school and, uh, you know, worked on hundreds of bows and thousands of arrows and setups and uh, work with a lot of archers, young and old, uh, new to the sport, first coming in, uh, you know, dealing with bows that are 20 years old or, or brand new up from the ATA show. So I've seen a lot of, uh, I don't want to say I've done it all, but I've done most of it. And I'm just really happy and, and excited to share my uh my knowledge and, and my experiences with the world. Yeah. I was going to say, that's one of the things I like about your channel personally is, you know, when I do archery videos, I feel like sometimes I wonder if, you know, how many people are actually getting something out of it. If I go too deep right. into the weeds, but your channel is very approachable and it talks about very basic stuff that a lot of guys have legitimate questions about. And I'll even reference some of that stuff too. Cause I mean, when you try enough stuff, you're bound to have good opinions on, you know, one thing or another, whether it's even, uh, you know, like a whisker biscuit versus drop away type thing. Like that's, that's yeah, the type sure. of video that, you know, just thousands and thousands of guys that could have questions on are able to just go jump in and, and find great input on that type of subject. Yeah. And it seems like a no brainer for guys like you and me and, and people that have been bow hunting for, you know, a decade, two, three decades, you know, they've been trying to drop away. They've been doing a whisker biscuit and, you know, for somebody who's brand new, they have no idea. Uh, they have no idea the simplicity of the parts, the complexity of the price point, what kind of work goes into tuning those things. There's a lot of different complexities that people just really, they just don't know. And for some of us, it's it's second nature. And so I really try to approach it at the level one, square one basics, and really just try to make it as fun and, and introductory as I can, and really try to get people on the right footing to start out with the sport. So do you find that you get a lot of people that'll go and private message you and ask you know, individual questions about their own setup? Oh, all the time. Uh, I get emails weekly, you know, of course, the YouTube comments, Facebook, Instagram messages. As a matter of fact, I got two today that I forgot to uh, respond to. Uh, but I'll get individual message all the time. Hey, I'm, what do you recommend on, on small, you know, our small diameter arrows worth it? That was a big one at the beginning of hunting season. A lot of broadhead questions, uh, a lot of the old bow questions. They find used stuff on eBay or Craigslist, stuff like that. And, and, as for somebody like me who's been doing it for decades, like I said, it, it you know I know what to look for in an old bow. I know uh, the differences of a small diameter versus large diameter shaft arrow weights. But for somebody who started out, I mean, your head could spin in five minutes of going onto archery talk or YouTubing and, and all that sort of stuff. And so I, I try to be uh, as simple as matter of fact, but yet very approachable and and allow people to answer those or ask those very simple short questions and get some sort uh, simple, short, concise answers and get them started on the right foot. So going off of that topic that you just mentioned, what is your opinion on micro diameter arrows versus standard? Uh, I like, if you're going to shoot a micro diameter arrow, it better be a heavy one. Uh, I'm a heavier guy in general, heavier arrow uh, guy in general. And I, I shot the axis and I liked it. My problem with, and I haven't tried, certain arrow systems like the like gold tips uh, like their kinetics and the pierces i have not tried a an insert system that's a two-piece or as a collar an outsert system i've only ever done the hit system with the easton 
uh, access and FMJ, and I'm not a huge fan of that. Uh, I like a little beefier system up front. I like the small diameter idea. I think shooting a 204, sometimes a 166 would be a, a really good uh, option for hunting. But for hunting whitetails here in the Northeast, it, you know, we're not shooting 40, 50 yards. We're not talking about wind drift. We're talking about 20 yards, good penetration, that sort of stuff. So for here, I think it's a little bit overkill. Uh, but I think they're, I think mathematically you can't deny that they are excellent for wind drift and certain other things things yeah I'm, I'm pretty much pretty much in the same boat as you sometimes the the perceived benefits for certain applications don't have much of a practical benefit for everybody and they shouldn't just automatically be you know lumped into the better category right and you have to watch out you know for certain arrows uh like the hex for example the eastern hex it's a very light gpi so now you're talking small diameter now you're talking light and now you got to add foc you got all those other things and Again, this goes back to people picking arrows, you know, and that sort of stuff. They're like, oh, it looks really awesome. You know, they see on TV people shooting the smaller things, greater penetration, this, that, and the other thing. But if you don't understand the math behind it, or if you don't understand the reasoning behind it, you could be either wasting money on things you don't need or uh, creating a setup that's just going to be inefficient for you. So I like I like toying with it, but, uh, but they're not for me at this current time. Gotcha. So... When we first met up in person, I mean, and we've messaged, you know, a few times in the past mm -hmm. just over, you know, Facebook Messenger and whatnot. But the first time that we actually met up face to face was at ATA this year. Was yeah. that your first trip to ATA or have you been there before? That was this was my second. Uh, this was my second trip. I went back in 2019 uh, and uh, it was just as cool as the first time. Uh, this is the first time my wife went me with, went with me to run the camera. So that was really cool. Um, but I, I, how many times have you gone now? This is my second time as well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we didn't cross paths though last year, obviously. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was great. This was obviously this year was in Indianapolis. Uh, so it was cool seeing Louisville set up versus the Indianapolis setup. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was a lot of cool stuff this year. I was really excited to get around and film a lot of stuff, see kind of where the industry's headed. I kind of like being really up and being in the know, you know, I work in a local pro shop here in Pennsylvania. And so I like, being in the know with the arrows and the broadheads and what the buzz is around the industry. And, and, and so that way when people have questions about stuff that I don't even carry in the shop here in Pennsylvania, I can answer those questions because I've seen it and played with it firsthand. Yeah. And would you say that you also probably get exposed to things where you're like, wow, we need to start carrying this in a, the shop locally. Oh, all the time. Well, and in particularly with, you know, where the industry's headed in a lot of different ways, uh, you know, at ATA, you get to see a lot of bow manufacturers, for example, that people are really interested in shooting that you don't carry. You know, we carry the big ones. We're one of the bigger shops here at PA, so we carry uh, Hoyt, uh, Matthews, Elite, Bowtech, and Diamond. So we, that carries, you know, covers 90% of your bases. But there's a lot of people that want to shoot a Martin or they want to shoot a PSC or they want to shoot a Bear. And so it's just kind of cool because that's the only time I get to play with those things and kind of see where that part of the market is headed. Uh, you know, the, the high-end setups, the budget setups, the carbon setups. It's just nice to be able to have it all right there in front of you and be able to play with it before somebody else gets their hands on it. Yeah. Did you feel like there was any new technologies in the bow side specifically this year that you thought was interesting or cool? Uh, I I mean, I won't deny anybody who follows the channel knows that I, I in particularly really love elite bows. Uh, I've been an elite shooter for a couple of years now, and I really like what they did this year. They offered a bow. Uh, that has quarter inch draw length adjustment, which is something we haven't really seen before. 
you know, most of them are in half inch increments. And for example, I like shooting my bow at 30 and a quarter inches. And I've always had to play with the cables and play with the string uh, to get that extra quarter inch out of the module. Um, so that was kind of cool uh, for me this year to, you know, put those bows in hand. Um, but nothing else on the bow side was really all that wild. The Bowtech last year released the, the whole cam shift. I forget the particular name of it off the top of my head, but you can basically shim a cam over right there on the line by using an Allen screw. Uh, that's a unique piece of technology we haven't seen in, I don't think, ever in the industry. But in the bow side, outside of what Elite and Bowtech did, I didn't see personally anything that was really blowing my mind, except for the weird stuff. I, should, I shouldn't say weird stuff. The different stuff, like gearhead, yeah. their dual cage risers and that sort of stuff, that they're a little uh, atypical for the market. But Yeah, well, shimming cams definitely sucks. Um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, you would know you're an, you're a you're a binary shooter. Yeah, you, at least yeah, been, yeah. And and I, when I did have to shim my cams, I used a portable bow press, and that made me feel a little bit nervous. I was just really careful. Um, but with the elites, you can now just adjust the pivot on the limb pocket, which is yes, very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have the whole set technology, so it's still a binary. Now it's a three track instead of a two track. So that helps with the cam lean, which I, I think personally that whole thing's blown away at portion, but that's a different conversation for a different time. But the, the whole set technology, you can basically just rolls the limbs over from one side to the other and adjust the limb tip, and it will help with your paper tears, which is pretty cool. That's, again, something we haven't seen in, in the industry, I, I don't think ever. Um, so that's a very unique system, and I was really excited to get my hands on, particularly the target bows. You know, not a whole lot of shops carry target bows here in pennsylvania it's not a big thing uh you have to go to the big shops like lancaster for example and uh so to be able to handle the target bows from all different brands and be able to play with the sec technology from elite on the result which is their new target bow that was pretty cool do you feel like with some of these new you know technology advances particularly in regards to tuning do you think that that's slowly getting us to a place where we're we're putting less and less potential work on some of those smaller bow shops. Do you see that becoming think, an issue moving forward? I do see it becoming an issue to an extent, but the, I think what keeps, at least I know what keeps us running at our local shop is the one thing you can't do is if you do not have a bow press. So if you don't have a bow press at home, you can't do things like chain string cables. You can't move your peep. You can't tie in your drop away cord for your rest. And that, I would say, probably ends up being 75% of our market, if you will, is the, is the fact that we have the bow press. And every two years, someone's got two or three years, if you're, if you're smart with your string cable use, <laughs> every two to three years, you're going to need new string cables. And so we, of course, get repeat customer after repeat customer. And so the tuning aspect, even though it's cool, for most people, they weren't tuning too much as it is. Yeah. Uh, they weren't bugging us too much as it is. Uh, they just want they just want to be able to pick an arrow off the shelf, put the rest where it kind of should be sighted in and just shoot a bow. That's what they just want to do. I have no problem with that. Um, but I think this this some of these technologies go over a good portion of the bow hunting industry's head. I think that, you know, it's cool to have it, um, but I don't think very many people are going to use it to its full potential. Potential. Yeah, that's a good perspective. I think the only bow that I saw that you re like I. I couldn't think of a reason to have a bow press for would be like the APAs, but it, pretty much everybody yes. else uh, in regards to tuning, right? They have little things that can help here and there, but to your point, if you want to swap 
cables and string, you're still going to have to press those bows. You're still going to have, if your cams go out of time, you're still going to have to press it to add twists. You want to move a peep. Uh, some bows, you need to actually put them, you kind of still need to press them a little bit to be able to move <laughs> draw modules. We had that a problem with uh, with some of the Bowtech bows last year. Uh, from the factory, the module would be set in the bus cable. And so you actually <laughs> have to press the bow in order to take the module out in order to get the bus cable out of the way. But yeah, so there, there's there's a lot of things you're still going to need to shop for. You're still going to need that expertise. And uh, so I don't see our business um, slacking too much in the near future. For most guys that come in to the shop, I mean, what's like the typical, what's the average hunter setup? Like a 28-inch draw, 29-inch draw, 60 to 70? Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of 60 to 70. A lot of guys shooting 60 pounds now. Uh, a lot of dudes shooting 60 pounds and lower, uh, which is really cool to see. Um, you know, we, we don't sell too many 70-pound bows anymore. And if we do, a lot of them back it off to 65, 60 pounds. Um, but, yeah, it's about a 28-and-a-half to 29-inch draw. Uh, you know, it's where you see, you know, you, you barely see very many guys at the orangutan length of 30, 30 and a half like me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's about that. And then, you know, a typical arrow, they're not adding any special brass. They're not doing anything special. A lot of mechanical shooters, obviously, uh, for the, the lack of necessary tuning, if you will, to get them to fly with kill points. Um, and uh, and it's kind of I'd say it's probably about a 50 50 split drop away and whisker biscuits. Um you know that's that sort of stuff out here and you know i, I kind of live in rural pennsylvania obviously and so we have a lot of good old boys you know bringing in bows that are you know like the old original bear whitetails from the 90s you know we're still putting string cables on those so it's 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 a good blend it's a good mix but um but yeah it's about a 28 to 29 inch draw 50 to 60 pounds and, and a mechanical broadhead most of the time gotcha do you think that you know if you if you were able to kind of impose your wisdom, do you think that a lot of those guys would be better suited with a different setup than what they come into the store wishing or wanting to to walk out with? If a guy asks me my opinion on what they should shoot, you know, if they're if they're having poor results, I'll give them I'll give them an earful and then some. You know, they'll they'll walk out with with a headache. I'll give them a little too much. Uh, but it, I, you know, I always recommend people if they're first starting out to use a fixed blade if they don't have any experience. Um, you know, particularly if, if also if someone comes in and they're getting a string cable change and so they have to kind of retune anyway. Um, and they're like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of switching broadheads. I'll be like, I would shoot a cut on contact fixed blade or just a fixed blade in general. Uh, I would go up in arrow weight. Um, you know, we sell a lot of lighter, lighter GPI arrows, but I strongly recommend to a lot of different people, uh, to shoot a heavier weight, shoot a, shoot, a, shoot something much more manageable and shoot a fixed blade broadhead. And those are really the biggest things I recommend to people. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, do you guys have the, when you, I guess, want to set somebody's bow up, do you tune it for them or do you have them kind of run through the motions themselves and tell them what to do and shoot it through paper to kind of get their grip torque input into it and all that kind of yeah. thing? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a real good question. So, um, a lot of guys don't want a paper tune. They just want you to stand off to the side and, and watch their arrow fly down our 20 yard indoor range and just kind of see if it's flying weird. Um, and that's pretty much good for, I'd say, 90% of the guys that come into the shop. You know, they kind of want to be in, get their bow worked on, be done, and get back to hunting. And I totally respect that. Uh, but if they want to spend an extra 20, 30 minutes, um, you know, we'll go down and we'll paper tune uh, and uh, make sure we're really getting as close to a bullet hole as possible. Um, and a lot of people that come in that want to paper tune, 
also don't understand that you really need to be consistent on your end. Paper tuning is not, you know, you just shoot it through paper and that's it. Like I've had a guy, I had a guy just this past uh, summer brought his bow in and he shot six different paper tears with the same arrow and never once moved the rest. He just gripped the bow different every every one of his six shots. And so, you know, it's knock high this way, then it's left, then it's right, and this, that, and the other thing. And you can't move the rest until you get a consistent paper tear. You can't, um, you know, adjust uh, the Y on the uh, bus cable to adjust your yoke tension to adjust for a paper tear. And so for most people, I just don't think they can shooting consistently, shooting consistently enough in their form to paper tune. But if they want to give it a whirl, I'll be happy to oblige them and try to get that arrow shooting as perfectly as it can out of the bow. So for a guy like that, that is just all over the map in terms of consistency, is he the type of guy where you maybe would try and steer him toward a mechanical or do you, you try and still get him to, you know, improve his form and, and shoot a fixed in that case? That's a great question. And I, I would do what you suggested first. I would get him to shoot a mechanical, uh, and, and, a, and a lower, you know, there's a lot of lower kinetic energy mechanicals on the market. You know, you don't need to be pushing two inches. You know, because that, that, that arrow is losing energy if it's not shooting straight out of the bow or coming out as straight as it can out of the bow. And so there's a lot of smaller uh, cutting diameters. There's some uh, lower kinetic energy uh, type uh, mechanical broadheads. And I, I happily push those people to that if they just can't get that consistency and that perfect arrow flight. Um, because not that you need perfect arrow flight for a fixed blade to tune well, but it, uh, but it does help. It does help in the long run. There are plenty of mechanical options now to accommodate for poor arrow flight. Right. And then I suppose another thing that they could probably tack on would be, you know, just more drag, different fletching configuration for flat mm -hmm. or longer veins or something like that to really help stabilize in the back right. end. It's uncommon to have guys want something fletched with other than blazer veins. So I know as someone who's fletched a couple hundred thousand arrows, it seems like in his lifetime, uh, I end up mostly just doing a really hard three to four degree helical you know, either right or left as best they can. You know, very few guys want to shoot a four fletch. Very few guys want to shoot a different vein other than a blazer. So if if they're having something like that, that I'll pour that on, but that's pretty much as far as it goes. That's even, I think that's cool that you even offer that. I remember some of my first experiences going into archery shops, it was either you got the, you know, two degree offset blazer or nothing. <laughs> you know, it was like, it was, yeah, right. that was your only choice. <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll set them up. We have about, I'd say, uh, about six, seven, or eight different bits and burgers set up at different degrees, right and left. And then we have a couple of like the, um, oh, the boning blazer jig, you know, which is a fixed plastic uh, polymer jig. And that gets an extreme, extreme helical on a blazer vein. So, uh, yeah, we have all different types of configurations to try to meet the needs of people the best. Do you find that between the blazer jig and the bits and burger, there's a big difference in, you know, quality and consistency, or can you use the plastic, um, blazer or boning jig and just do a really careful job and get similar results? You can use the, the blazer jig and do, a, I mean, you got to go slow and steady. The, yeah. um, you know, the, the tolerances aren't there. And as someone who uses a bits and burger habitually, you know, I feel like I can fletch arrows in my sleep nowadays. Uh, that, that boning jig takes a little bit of time. It's a learning curve for sure. Um, but I think you can, if you really do focus and, and go slow, pay attention, clean off your excess glue, all the typical stuff you would do with a jig, you can get uh, very similar results. Okay. What's your personal setup? 
Or what do you, I, you, I imagine you have a different setup for hunting and target. What's your yeah, hunting yeah. rig look like? Right now I have three different hunting arrows going because I just can't, I can't decide. And I love to tinker too much, not as much as you do. Uh, but I, 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 I tinker a fair amount. Uh, most of them, they're all gold tip shafts. I'm a big gold tip shooter. Uh, they, you know, they make brass inserts that are readily available. Uh, so I have one setup that's currently about a 570. I have one setup that's about a 510, and then I have one that's a 460. Um, I'm shooting all Magnus broadheads, either the Buzz Cuts or the Black Hornets. Uh, some of them I run brass. Some of them I'm running uh, gold tip regular inserts, but I'll put in grub screws that I got at like Lowe's or something. Kind of like the it's basically a substitute of the fact weight system that they right. have grub screws that screw into the back of the insert and you know play with 50 up front 60 up front something like that I kind of get a tune i want and um and then most of the time i shoot uh, all white blazers on the back end uh, sometimes i'll go with a three inch uh boning x vein just for aesthetics but most of the time a blazer gets the job done and, and they're built like bricks so that's they're hard to, they're hard to destroy um and i like running knock bushings or pin knocks uh, off the end of my arrow i do a lot of target shooting crossover 3d with the shafts and so it helps with glance outs um and uh, you can get lighted knocks that go down to 166 nowadays so pop out the plastic throw in the 166 and you have a beautiful hunting rig gotcha do you find that there's much trajectory difference within say 30 yards between those three arrow setups that you're running i would say no more than probably two to three inches at the most uh i shoot an elite energy 35 as my hunting rig and it is slow as molasses <laughs> when it comes to to flinging out heavy arrows um in terms of the bow hunting distances no i don't really adjust the pins at all i'll maybe hold a hair high with the big one uh the 570 and and, and right on with the with the 460 but i don't see much of a trajectory distance until you get to that 40 50 yard mark and then I might as well be lobbing hand grenades because it's 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 uh, definitely diving off pretty quick. Yeah, it's pretty consistent with what I've noticed. You know, inside 15, 20 yards, you can really vary a lot and not really notice much of a practical difference. But then once Correct. you stretch it out, that's where it really starts to become noticeable. Yeah, and I mean, and you know, you know, up up there in the north, here in the northeast, you know, our bow hunting shots are 15, 20 yards, and particularly in the early season when you have full green up. I mean, you can't see more than 30, 40 yards in a lot right. of the places I appear in the mountains. And so that's why I feel very comfortable tinkering with air weights that are well over 100 grains of each other. Um, now, I only carry one setup into the woods. I don't carry a golf bag, if you will, of, of different arrow sizes. I only carry the one, but I know that my tune can stay pretty consistent. Um, I don't have to do too much rest tweaking to, to get the tears that I want through paper. Have you ever run mechanicals is like a you know third or fourth broadhead choice in your quiver yeah i've run a lot of smaller cut um mechanicals uh, a couple of years ago actually when i first started the channel so it'd been five years ago i was shooting magnus all as a kid and then i tried the nap shockwave which is like only like an inch and a half you know it's nothing ex extravagant it's an over-the-top uh, mechanical and i had great success with it it worked just fine and I like an over-the-top. I don't like the rear-deploying style. I just feel like there's – I've had you know, buddies had them open in their quiver, the little O-rings break, this, that, and the other thing. And so I'll run a smaller – I really like the Rocket, the original Rocket steelhead uh, in 125 grain in particular. They just were – they were just built like little tanks, and, and they just cut really nice holes, and uh, they flew like darts. I mean, they're so compact. 
So I'll sometimes stick them in the quiver, but I haven't I haven't uh, used a mechanical in five years. So. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of at the – I'm so OCD about this kind of stuff that I almost have, like, three different arrow, like, possibilities in my quiver. And I, mm-hmm. I'd like to just have one, but I'm always thinking, like, well, what if I'm sitting on the ground and there's a lot of grass? Well, I want this kind of setup. Mm-hmm. And if it – if it's more of an open setup and it's kind of windy, then I want to shoot this kind of arrow. And you know, if it's yeah. thick and and I'm just worried about penetration, like I want to shoot this kind of setup. It's hard hard to choose. Oh yeah, and and I I wish I had the gumption to do that, but part of my OCD is that I just got to keep everything consistent. Like I want to know <laughs> the first arrow I pull out is the same as the second, same as the third. Uh, I would love the, the ability to run the golf bag, but I my brain just doesn't work like that. I like to have every all my ducks in a row. Yeah, the the one concept that I keep trying to, you know, keep at the forefront of my, my thought process when I'm choosing this kind of stuff is, you know, practical significance. And I might take three different arrow setups and they might hit, you know, a couple inches, let's say one or two inches off from one another at 60 yards. And I think, okay, well, I know that now, but inside of 30, that's like a quarter half inch difference. And it's just not practically significant enough for me to, you know, notice a difference I'm much more likely mm-hmm. to, to miss due to me screwing up the shot rather than the minute differences between the setups. So that's what I always have to kind of keep telling myself. Yeah. At bow hunting distances, 90% of the time, it does not matter. Let it, let it rip, put the pin on and let it rip. I, I, I gotta keep telling myself that cause I, I got, I got a ner- I was a nervous wreck when I shot my doe, uh, in November. I, I threw, I just picked the bow off the shelf, didn't tune it threw an arrow. I, it was like nine o'clock at night. I turned the floodlights on in the backyard. I shot, 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 got everything, threw a broadhead on it. looked like it flew okay, and I just was in cold sweats all morning. Like, if I have a deer come in at, like, 20 yards, I'm just going to miss by, like, four feet. I'm like, no, you're an idiot. You're going to be, like, an inch off at the most. And sure enough, I ended up drilling it at 22 yards. So it's <laughs> you just tell yourself to calm down every now and then and just and just hunt and enjoy it. Forget the analytics. Just, just hunt and enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing better also when you're – you draw back and the deer takes up half your sight pin housing. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. Which pin do I pick? I don't care. <laughs> Just do one of them. Yeah. It's, I, I, there's some guys I know that are, that, uh, that are like, yeah, I just pulled up and I didn't even use the pins. That's how close they were. That's a little too close for me. That's a little too close, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's fantastic. You pull up. Well, you get, you used the easy V mm-hmm. at certain points, uh, last year, but did you use it this year at all? Yeah, I used it this I year. I couldn't remember. Yeah. I used it pretty That's much the entire I season. Yeah. I, I actually, over the summer, I shot a lot with pins, uh, because it, when I'm shooting spots at the range, I'm a little bit more precise with pins. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in preparation for the mm-hmm. season, I swapped back over and made sure everything was sighted back in. Yeah. I will say that was a cool thing. I had never handled one until ATA this year. I went over and met Aaron and stuff and, I love the idea. It's built like a tank, you know, picking one up. They're milled out of 60, 61, one. And, uh, but, but what you're, what you say there is something that I struggle with is that I, I just shoot at spots year round. I'm shooting outdoor, shoot indoor, uh, you know, I'm shooting 3d and I really have to pick a specific spot. So as cool as it is and as unique as it is, I don't know if it would be something that would end up being for me. Uh, but it's definitely a, a unique site. It was cool to see you guys use it in action. Yeah. I think, for most guys to get the best benefit out of it. I, I think there's, there's two maybe groups. One is the, the guys that just struggle with pins 
whether it's you know old eyes old eyes or uh, you know maybe mild target panic or something where they just struggle putting a pin on something and then the other group would be the people who you know don't necessarily have a problem with pin sights but they want that extra potential benefit of using it as a range finding tool and i think the way that those people benefit best is by just practicing a lot using that sight on 3d targets on you know you know basketball size thing right just using it the way it was intended flip that thing around and just practice sizing up your quote-unquote kill zone and just shooting right. it like that and just getting used to using it that way and then when it gets time to actually hunt with it you can flip it back around and still have those tick marks to fall back on um but if you just use it as a pin sight and don't ever use the v as as an aiming system and you don't have any issues with target panic or anything like that then i mean they're both they're both can be really effective especially at you know whitetail distances did you still find that when you were shooting in particular at you know full size game or drawing back on game that you still were guesstimating the distance between you and the critter or were you just pulling up the v and just like yeah that's going to be that usually especially if it's a you know a saddle or tree stand type setup i'll still kind of prearrange everything just to get a general idea of, of what's kind of around me and even if I have a deer that's just kind of hanging out at like 40, 45 yards, and I'm not sure if it's going to get any closer and I have the time, I'll still pull a rangefinder out and just range it because still to me, you know, getting an exact range and being able to use pins or tick marks, that's still kind of my, my most precise. But if I have that kind of situation where a deer pops up and I just don't have the time and I'm running the camera or something, I'll just draw back and, and then would just basically use that that V say it's 30, 35, I'll be able to figure it out with the, with that. And it'll be, you know, with, it'll be close enough on the elevation that it's going to go right in the kill zone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was something I, I wondered, you know, and I, I don't know very too many easy V shooters. If you're still, if you're still really trying to estimate the, the range and I'll, and I'll be upfront and honest, I am garbage at estimating range, particularly in the hardwoods, you know, I get tunnel vision, anything past 25 yards, is just it's a crapshoot for me mm -hmm. so you know kind of always wondered if they're still if you're still ranging it if you're still guesstimating for actually pulling out a rangefinder and still trying to figure that out uh, even before you pull up the v up on the up on the animal it's cool i think it's i think it's a unique idea uh putting that on a bow site instead of just on a on a military aspect yeah yeah and of course the the thing that's different about military aspect versus what we're trying to do is you know they're they're trying to range based on fixed size, more or less objects. Whereas, you know, even though things should be fairly close within the, the animal realm, you know, for the testing that Aaron's done, if you're not used to looking at what that actual kill zone should look like, it can still throw you off if you're not practiced at all. Right. Like I have a screenshot right. from one of my videos earlier this year where I had uh, a buck walking behind a fawn and he was standing about five yards past the fawn and looked like he was about three times the size. Right. So, mm -hmm. so there's, and you know, talking about down South deer versus up North deer versus elk, right. There's, you have to basically the, the best thing I can come up with is you just got to try and practice shooting and framing the size animal you're going to plan on shooting to be able to get used to that. If you want to be able to use it the most effectively. Right. Right. You really have to pick your critter in your particular area more than anything else. Yeah. But yeah, I'll probably, I'll probably still use it next year. I, what I'll probably do is, you know, whenever somebody asked about that site in particular, they ask if I'm going to, you know, if I'm you know, full on on that site or if I'm going back to pins. And it's like, well, I, 
I own both styles of sights. I'll continue to use both. Right, I'll just pick the right tool for the job. Basically, is kind of how I look at it. Um, I think they they both can be effective, and they both either one's not for everybody, right? So, mm-hmm. you actually you mentioned you shot a doe in November, and I didn't realize mm-hmm. that. I know you shot the buck early season. Yes, because that got on film. Yeah, Correct. I saw that. I saw that video. Um, was the doe after the break? Was that like late November or was that early November? It was like the first. So our archery season here in Pennsylvania, we only get the first two weeks of November. And then there's a break until the Monday. Well, this year is the Saturday after Thanksgiving and then firearm season opens. Um, So I think it was it was the first week of November, first 10 days in November. I shot a doe. Uh, But yeah, that was I was by myself. I ended up going live on YouTube. It was a wild, crazy story. I ended up going live on YouTube out of the tree because where I was sitting, it was just a nice calm morning. You know, I had a day off from work and, uh, I ended up having a coyote come from the exact same direction while I was going YouTube live. It was the most bizarre thing possible. And I was like, Oh, this will be awesome. If I get me shooting this coyote now, it wouldn't have been on screen cause I was using my phone. But if I got this coyote on, uh, on kill on YouTube live, that'd have been the wildest hunt I'd ever been on. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I shot her in the morning and there in the beginning of November and, and it was it's something that I'm starting to see more and more of these days shooting a heavier arrow and shooting these super sharp cut on contact broadheads is I'm getting these deer, you know, my the buck I shot last year, the doe I shot last year, and then the buck and doe I shot this year. I'm hitting them and they're running less than forty yards and then they're just kind of stopping. And they're just kind of hanging out and all of a sudden they just tip over. Yeah. You know, there's none of this like, you know, hauling like their tails on fire and that's it's something i hadn't i hadn't seen really before i i vividly remember when i was shot mechanicals five years ago i shot a doe and i mean she took off i mean it was a full pass through it was a great shot but she easily was hauling for about 100 150 yards before she expired now it was an easy blood trail you know very successful but just the past couple of years shooting a very highly efficient 500 plus grain arrow setup with a cut on contact broadhead I'm just getting great blood trails, and the deer just aren't running off as far. Now, I've made really good shots, really lethal shots on all these critters. Um, but it's just something I've, I've seen this year that I just I have not seen in the past, to this extent at least. Yeah, I, I guess I've kind of seen it both ways. I've definitely had deer do like what you said, where they just, you know, it's like they weren't quite sure what happened, and then they just kind of tip mm-hmm. over. But I've also had it where... I've hit them with, you know, efficient enough setups where you think you miss, right? Cause it's just, it makes no noise when it hits the animal and they'll just take off and go like the, the 150, 200 yards, just because that's how far they could run and the amount of time that it took for them to expire. Um, and I don't know exactly what, what causes it to happen with some animals and not others. I don't know if it has to do with maybe a rib gets, you know, chopped on one, whereas another one, it goes between the ribs and they can feel that more than than other times or if it's just you know how wired they were that day um yeah yeah i had a i had a doe that i shot with my longbow that she went about 200 yards which is a single bevel and i thought i missed it first um Hmm. then i've also had you know deer where uh, a couple years ago i shot one with a it's kind of similar to a magnus it was a steel force head that i was using so pretty similar style of head and that one did the you know 30 yards, stop, look around and just tip over. So uh, definitely it's been a mix, um, which is, 
you know, when I see a lot of people talking about the, the heavy arrow thing, a lot of guys get that reaction. It seems like where they just, they don't go very far. Um, but I, so I don't know why, but occasionally I'll get the experience where it's the opposite, where even if you hit it with a super efficient setup and it goes 14 inches into the dirt, they'll still take off. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just don't know what it is. It, you know, I, I remember as a kid, this happening both ways, you know, uh, you know, I've been bow on now for 16, all going on 17 years. And so, you know, I've, I've killed a lot of critters and seen a lot of different things. It just, and I, I just feel also feel like with the heavy arrow thing in particular, the past couple of years, uh, just the whole, the whole situation's quieter. You know, I vividly remember, you know, I mean, and also the bows have gotten much quieter and much more efficient on their own in their own right as well. But just the whole, like the whole, the shot, like I just, I just feel like I can hear everything during the shot. Maybe it's because I'm more attentive, but I can hear the bow. I can hear the arrow. I can barely hear it as it hits the animal. And then, and then it's just so quiet afterwards. There's none of this just hauling off, none of this big crack, you know, uh, as it hits the animal, you know, Mm -hmm. we all watch it on YouTube and TV. We can, we all know the boom, boom as it, you know, hit, leaves the bow and then hits the animal. And I just feel like I just don't get that anymore, or at least I haven't gotten that in the past couple of years. And so it's just something interesting that I've, I've seen, I've been more attentive to and paying attention more with bow hunting with these heavier setups, how much more efficient and how much quieter my setup is. And as we said earlier, with only losing an inch or two of, of velocity over a typical bow hunting distance, I just don't see any downside. And I just don't see me going back to anything less than 450 anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. I could see myself if I go out West and I want a certain trajectory to shoot, you know, 60, 70, whatever the yardage might be. I might try and get back up to like a 270, 280. Mm-hmm. But for whitetails, I mean, I've shot between 230 and 250 for the past couple of years and haven't had any issues. So, well, I, with the exception of those, those like rare shot opportunities where you do have an opportunity to like 40 yards and you look at your, where your 20 yard pin is and there's brush in the way and you're thinking, well, mm-hmm. if I had a little flatter trajectory, maybe I could pull this off. But, <laughs> but other than that, like there's, like you said, I, I don't see many downsides to it. Yeah. I, I, and I was surprised and, and working in the bow shop, I've been very surprised uh, when when people also come in or like, you know, I've, I started doing this thing. I put a brass insert in my arrow and I just, I'm just so much quieter. My bows just seem so much smoother. I get less hand shock. I get this. And it's just really cool to see this kind of catching on the past couple of years. And I'm, and I'm glad that I've become a part of it and become an advocate for it because I think a lot of people are getting happier. And of course, all the guys that have been shooting aluminum since the 60s are like, duh, we've been telling you this. <laughs> For like 50 years, if you shoot a, you know, 11 grains per inch arrow, uh, you know, you, it's much quieter and, and, and the whole kit and caboodle and your penetration goes through the roof and your momentum goes through the roof. And who cares about velocity? Let's 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 enjoy the hunt and let's enjoy uh, harvesting critters. So I think I think it's cool that we're we're seeing the resurgence these days. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever tried shooting just like a monster heavy arrow out of your boat just to see what it feels like and sounds like? I have a uh, I have a whole bunch of I think they're twenty five fourteens aluminum super slam they're digital camo I think they are fourteen grains per inch and they're thirty one inches long you can do the math there I shoot them for indoor I put two hundred up front I think the total <laughs> weight is like seven and change something like that and it's just like I feel like the bow has recoil <laughs> when that thing goes off and uh, I mean it's 
all you hear is the is the rest falling. It seems like, uh, which is just it's just so so cool. But I mean, you could outrun that arrow. It's like tossing a water balloon. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, I don't know if I'll hunt with it. I kind of like my indoor arrows because they're expensive. Uh, but if I'm I'm tempted again, I, I tried it a couple years ago, shooting aluminum aluminums. Uh, I'm kind of tempted to try it again this year, uh, this upcoming fall in 2020. But we'll see. You'd be a good person to answer this question. Um, when it comes to shooting heavier arrows, do you find that the let off that a bow has makes a significant difference in how forgiving it is uh, when compared to shooting light arrows? Uh, I would say yes, it does. Um, because I've shot both in the spectrum. You know, I've shot everything from 70% lot off with a 320 grain arrow for 3D all the way up to these 700 behemoths with 85, 90% let off for indoor, which is my personal preference. Um, and I've seen that that lighter arrow and particularly the, the lower let off, so like only 70%, it is not forgiving. I don't care if you shoot it out of a seven and a half inch bracelet bow. If you're, if you're off, if you're torquing, if you're tilting, if you're canted, forget it. You're, it's not going to go where it's going to go. But that slower moving, often larger fletched arrow with a higher let off percentage and just a little bit more give, just, I don't know. I, I can seem to be, you know, on a standard Vegas phase, I can seem to be in the red and the eight and I'll still hit an X. I just don't know what it is uh, about it. So I, I think, yeah, I, I really do. A uh, slower, particularly heavier arrow with a better let off situation, I find to be much more accurate than a lower let off percentage in a faster, faster setup. Huh. That's, I'm glad to get your, your thought process on that. Cause I haven't, I mean, I've shot the same let off for several years now and I really haven't had much ability to be able to tweak it all that much other than, mm -hmm. you know, just moving around where my draw stop is. Um, but in my mind, I was kind of thinking if you have a really heavy arrow in a very high let off, there's so there's such a little holding weight at full draw that when you fire the shot, there's very there's a small amount of force that's starting to push on the backside of that heavy arrow, and you probably are sitting for a lot longer period of time when that arrow's right next to your face and it's just sitting there starting to slowly slowly accelerate. Versus if you had maybe a 65 or 70 percent let off, it would you get more of that push right away, and maybe it would spend less time you know just kind of hanging there by your face. But I haven't been able to you know actually test it out. Yeah, and I will say that, you know, for most people that are shooting the lower – it, it all depends on the shooter, of course. Uh, but if you're, shooting a, if you're shooting a heavier air with a lower percentage uh, let off, you know, 65 70%, those guys are – I don't want to be too general, but those are your top-end dudes. Those aren't guys like me. Those aren't guys shooting bow hunter class. Those are guys that are shooting spiral cams. You know, they shoot competition – you know, 365 days a year. And I don't think it matters what arrow you put out of them. I think they're, they're going to knock your socks off regardless with accuracy. Uh, but I think for those of us that shoot bow hunter class and are used to a higher let off system, shooting the heavier arrow, I don't think it, I don't think it makes the hill beans difference, but perhaps for those top fan guys, those guys that are shooting in the open pros, the guys that are shooting in the open amateur classes and the high level that might make a difference that you do make a good point uh, with it sitting there longer um, but I don't know for those of us that are shooting, you know, 80% of us that are shooting regular bow hunter setups, if it matters all that much, but that'd be an interesting thing to check out. Gotcha. When you, uh, shoot in the bow hunter type classes, what, what's the restrictions on that? Is it stabilizer length, sight type? What all goes into that? 
The stabilizer length is pretty universal. Uh, it's 12 inches or less. You can have a back bar if you want, but again, 12 inches or less. Uh, depends on the shoot. Uh, Lancaster Classics coming up this week. They'll let you shoot up to a 27. Uh, certain shoots, there's a shoot I go to here um, in Pennsylvania. They only let you shoot 23 diameter size. So um, in terms of sights, it's universal. You can shoot pins, a pin or multiple pins, no lenses. Uh, if you if you have bad eyesight, you could shoot a, a verifier in your uh, peep sight so you can see your pin so it's not a blurry mess. Uh, but outside of that, uh, any poundage you want, you could shoot a blade rest, you could shoot a drop away, you could shoot a whisker biscuit if you want. Uh, you could shoot any release style that you want, but it's the stabilizer in the sight that's pretty universal. And then the, uh, the arrow diameter kind of depends on the shoot. Yeah. If, you, if you're going to run you know, a setup for a bow hunter class shoot, would you typically like to shoot exactly what your hunting setup is, or would you try and tweak within the limitations of the bow hunter class to try and shoot a better score? I shoot, I shoot pretty close to what I'm hunting with. Um, so I'll shoot arrows that I would hunt with at least. So, uh, I shoot 2315 aluminums, which is something I would totally take into the woods. Um, I do shoot a single pin. All the, I don't shoot a single pin while hunting, but that's just, I don't need all that extra clutter of pins. I'm shooting one spot at 20 yards. I shoot the exact same stabilizer setup. And I shoot the exact same drop away setup. Um, I'll run a blade rest uh, when 3D starts to kind of pick up in the early spring, and I'll run a blade rest for both shafts at the same time. But I really like, shoot, I shoot a Hamski uh, Trinity. Um, and that'll handle both indoor and outdoor setups, no problem, without having to tweak too much. So that's a good crossover limb driver. Uh, but most of, I mean, I already shoot long axle axle bows. I hunt with a 35 and a 39 inch axle axle bow, and I absolutely love hunting with that kind of length of bow. So that hasn't changed much, and and uh, I try to keep everything else as close as I can. I'll shoot a, um, a hinge release. I do shoot that. I shoot a caliper for hunting. I'll shoot a, a three finger, four finger hinge release just to give me a little bit something cleaner, a little more consistent, uh, and particularly when I'm shooting indoor and I just am shooting 60 arrows in a sit. Uh, I really need something consistent to, uh, to help me throughout that, you know, hour long shoot. Why not shoot, uh, either a hinge or I guess probably more likely, a like a thumb style release three or four finger in the woods versus the caliper. The caliper is just what I'm kind of used to. I'm kind of an old fogey in that way. I, I've shot that for years, uh, and I'm going to stick with it. I, I shot a thumb button, uh, a true ball thumb button, a couple of years ago, and I just I just couldn't get used to it for hunting, just the way it was on my face. Um, in the late season, I wear some sort of face mask. I can't do the camo face paint in the late season. It's just too cold. Really, even by the time my rut rolls around, it's just too cold. And that thumb button just wasn't getting the anchor that I liked for, for bow season. And so the caliper release, I was able to get the knuckles on my face where I like them. And, and I shoot very consistently with it. I just, for target, I just prefer a, uh, a hinge release. Gotcha. That's one, that's one that's still on my list to, to play around with. Done the, the tension, the thumb, the caliper, but hinge is still something that I haven't yet, haven't yet dove into maybe this year. Haven't dove into at all, or haven't dove into for hunting at all. Uh, I've done at the all. I've done the thumb for for uh, well, I say target. When I say target, I mean like practicing for hunting at the target range, not actually like going to shoots. Uh, but I've done the thumb for hunting. I've done tension, not for hunting, but I'll shoot it at the range to try and keep me honest. 
especially if I feel like I'm starting to get, you know, a little bit of anticipation building up. And then sure. I've run the caliper for years for hunting too. But the hinge, I, I suppose there's, there's still benefit of having that other option to bounce back and forth with. Right. I mean, if I, if I shot target, then I for sure, I think, you know, if I did it competitively, I think I for sure would get one, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of, you know, trying to determine if it's really going to give me that much added benefit to play around with if I'm strictly practicing for hunting, if it's just another thing that I can add into the mix to help keep me honest, or if I'm, you know, just as well off sticking with the tension and the thumb and the caliper and just switching off between those three. Yeah. Knock on wood that when I first started shooting a hinge, everybody's like, Oh, you'll punch yourself in the face. You'll learn, you'll learn in a hurry, you know, cause you just accidentally rolled the whole thing over. I have not done that yet. In, in my 16 years of shooting, I've yet to punch myself in the face shooting a hinge release. Uh, but I will say it in during the, during the hunting season, if I start feeling that I'm getting too friendly with my caliper, uh, too friendly with my index finger, I will shoot the hinge just in the backyard with my hunting setup just so I can keep myself honest and, and stay with it and really under pull through the shot and do what I'm supposed to. Um, and I think that's beneficial. I don't think you need to shoot a hinge. If you're shooting a back tension, you're shooting a thumb button, just something different than what you would naturally hunt with or practice with all the time. That's really what's going to keep you honest in the long run. Yeah. I'll be honest too. There's a lot of times when if the shot is close enough, I, I'll admit I, I punch the trigger almost intentionally just because I want to, I know I'm not going to miss and I just want to time it perfectly. Yeah, I, I did that this year. I just I just put it up. I put it there. I waited. She wouldn't stop. She would not stop walking. And she I, I, I bleeded at her in the first shooting lane. She would not stop. Bleeded at her in the second shooting lane. She would not stop. I had one more shooting lane. She would not stop. I put the pin in the lane. Wait till her brisket came in. And I just punched it and uh, just caught her right in the middle of the lungs. And, you know, she ran off and expired there at 40 yards. And and I just remember sitting there in the tree going, that could have gone horribly wrong. If she had stopped, I would like, if she had actually finally stopped, I would have caught her probably right in the front in a non-lethal area and had one of those horrifying track jobs we all don't want to have. Uh, but thankfully, she just, you know, just didn't listen and just kept on walking. Uh, but, yeah, there are times, plenty of times, uh, where you just you just got to pull up and shoot because you want it to happen and happen now. And you need it to happen and happen now. So it's it's a good practice skill to have. Yeah. One other thing I was going to ask you about that, the PA hunting structure. So in addition to having that thing split up in terms of not being able to hunt kind of that peak breeding time, you guys also still can't hunt on Sundays, right? Is that, that is correct. Is that, I I mean, I see stuff on Facebook where, you know, petitions and things will go around. Is there actually any traction that they're going to get rid of Sunday or I'll start allowing Sunday hunting? So governor Wolf actually signed a bill. Uh, this past October, November, that will take place in effect for the 2020-2021 season, that now they have given the Game Commission three Sundays, uh, one during archery season, one during firearm season, and then one during the late season uh, to open it up to hunting. Um, And we have not learned all the logistics yet, if they're going to allow it on public and private, you know, if it's going to be kind of a soft opening, we don't know how it's going to work. Uh, but the game commission is allowed to pick three days uh, this year, this upcoming season, for the public to to hunt on Sunday. I wonder if they're going to treat that as kind of a a trial period type test, and if it goes well, then they'll continue to expand it. Or 
I mean, you guys as a state are probably you're pretty pretty resistant to change. Uh, it, not as bad as as it makes. It's funny because that you mentioned that because it sounds to like to to the, anybody who's not in Pennsylvania, it sounds like the people the hunters of Pennsylvania don't want this change. The people of Pennsylvania don't want this change. Every person I talk to wants this change. Every person I talk to wants this change. And I live in rural Trump God's country Pennsylvania. And we want this change and predominantly is now in, in our area and, you know, and all of us that, you know, being an educator, I see this a lot with the kids, their parents and their kids have 17 different things to do on a Saturday. And the only day they have for them to hunt is Sunday. And all they want to do is just take their kid out with a crossbow to go hunting and they can't do it. And so, you know, people would have two days and, you know, I would literally, cause I'm a weekend warrior myself, I would double the days I can hunt during archery season. You know, if we get a bad day on Saturday, that's it. That, that was my whole week of hunting. Um, you know, I'll take a, have a, I'll have a random day off or something, but everybody that I talk to really wants this change and change permanently. Cause we're one of the last few States left in the country, uh, that, that doesn't allow Sunday hunting at all. And, and that's kind of, it's kind of become an embarrassment, I think for us, uh, as a hunting culture that we are the only dudes that aren't posting buck pictures on a, on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, so it's, you know, we, we, we're kind of ready to move on. It's 2020. Let's get with the rest of the program. Let's get our kids hunting. We're losing number hunting numbers by the thousands and thousands, even here in such a high hunter density state. And we really, really could use Sunday hunting here permanently every Sunday for every part of the season. Yeah. I, as an outsider looking in, I think that would be a, a good change from that perspective for sure. Do you ever, uh, go out of state? especially considering you have no. kind of limited days inside Pennsylvania. No, I have, I have never left the state. It's funny. I, I, growing up as a kid, I lived in so many different places across the country. Um, you know, Oklahoma and Texas and Pennsylvania and California. And, uh, but when it, when I finally settled down and, you know, have my own family now, and I never leave the state, <laughs> uh, except to go to the, uh, ATA show once a year. Uh, so I'm, I really would like to go, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to hunt out of state. I actually, actually spoke to Greg, uh, Godfrey down there at the ATA. He's like, you should come, you should come out with us and, and this, that, and the other thing. So I, I might try it this year. We'll see how it goes though. We'll see what, what kind of, be. I, I don't feel comfortable doing it by myself. I think it kind of feeds the purpose. I, you know, if, if I did go out, I'd want to go with other people and enjoy the camaraderie mm-hmm. and enjoy the fun and, and the laughs and the, and the, shirt tail chronicles and enjoy the successes together as well yeah yeah that's definitely one of the most fun things about an out-of-state trip is the group i'm kind of in the same boat usually if i'm going on an out-of-state trip it's with at least one other person and sometimes with a group of a few and uh it definitely makes the trip more fun oh it looks like it i love following you know you and uh and sam Sohold and the thp guys and greg and the tether team I, you know as someone like i said doesn't leave the state it's cool to watch that on youtube and i think a lot of us that don't get to travel or a lot of us that aren't in the youtube community just feel so empowered uh watching you guys doing that i think it's just a really cool thing uh you know because while we're sitting here freezing our butts off in the northeast you know we're watching people travel the country hunting in mississippi and missouri and all this really cool stuff and it, it's it's such a unique dynamic now and it's just really awesome to see it unfold and and those of us that uh that are just good old boys living at home we just really appreciate what everybody's doing and, and and sharing it with the world yeah absolutely well taking up about an hour of your time or so and i think we covered some or so covered some some great stuff 
really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, obviously we mentioned at the beginning that people can follow your stuff on the average Jack archery YouTube channel. Uh, the hunt that you had filmed this fall was on a different channel though. that was on, um, the channel is AJ hunts. If you go onto my main channel, you can find, I have a video where I explain it. We know YouTube's weird with putting, you know, killing animals, uh, on YouTube. So I, I have a link to that channel and I tried to self film this year and it, it did not go so well. So there's nothing else yet on that, but, uh, Turkey season, I plan to start putting up some content and, and, uh, continue to enjoy the outdoors over there at AJ hunts. Awesome. Well, like I said, appreciate you, uh, taking the time this evening to, jump on the podcast well thanks for having me buddy i really appreciate it